Tonight, we discuss the church the world wants and the church the world needs. And those two churches are very, very different. And only one option is actually on the table, no matter what anyone else tells you. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. Can you guys believe that we are on episode 39 of season six on the deep end, rounding out this season? The season ends when the deep dive Bible study ends going through second Kings. And I think we're about four or five episodes away from the end. So I look forward to closing out the season with you guys. If you do me the big favor of hitting that like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell so that you can get notified on your smartphone every time we go live. If you like the content, support it by just clicking some buttons. It's not that hard. Anyway, welcome in one more time. I am going to talk to you about something that is of utmost importance because we are in an inflection point for the church in culture. The church has a couple of options on the table, go with culture or go with the gospel, go with the word of God. And this is not new. This has been the order of the day since Paul, the apostle went around and planted churches all around the known Roman empire, and then had to write letters back to those churches, telling them to get back on track because you were straying and you were drift and they were drifting away from the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And so we are always in this battle, a battle for truth. And it, the battle lines are drawn. The, draw, the, the lines are very simple. There's the church the world wants and the church the world needs. And make no mistake, neither of these is equal. They are not equal to each other. They are different. They are totally different. Now, you might not care about this topic, but I would caution you of, uh, against skipping the video and skipping this episode. It's very important because chances are good that your faith is being affected by a church the world wants or a church the world needs. And you want to make sure that the church that you're in is doing what it should be doing for your spiritual growth, because you will be a Christian the world wants or a Christian the world needs. And again, they're not equal. And what you have to understand is there's always a gravitational pull over to the side over here on the left on your screen. They they want us to be a certain kind of Christian. And we're going to explain that as we look at the state of the church in modern America, post-COVID America, and get down to business. So that brings me to Deep End News. Deep, 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 deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. Last week, we talked about Slate Magazine. They have a writer there that has this write-in and answer, question and answer column. And he talks about uh, adverse, abnormal, if you will, sexual experiences and how to deal with them. And so consider the source of this next article from Slate Magazine, the same magazine that platforms that person from last week. But here was the article that caught my attention. It was brought to my attention by Dennis Prager, a valuable uh, conservative commentator in our world. And he was talking about this article and he asked the question that this article asks. And the question is, how do you resurrect an empty church? The subtitle there is America's aging houses of worship face a stark choice, sell, redevelop, or pray for a miracle. What a question. How do you resurrect an empty church. So the church in question in this article is a church called Summerfield Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It held its last service, the article sang, on June 25th. The rough cut sandstone church with its bright red doors and stained glass windows was built in 1904 to house the state's oldest Methodist congregation and occupies a prominent corner uh, lot just a few north, just a few blocks north of downtown. By this spring, the congregation had dwindled to just 11 members. 11, none younger than 65, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And the repair bill to get the water damage structure ship shape was $1.3 million. I don't see 11 members coming up with $1.3 million. Anyway, with that, Milwaukee loses not just a church. Now listen to this next line. But also a cooling center during heat waves, a place where hot meals were served until 2 a.m. on snowy nights, a meeting point for Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous, As for the physical structure itself, which is a mental landmark for locals, if not an official one protected by city law, that's not yet clear. So the article is showing you the church the world wants. The church the world wants is a place where you can have AA and NA meetings, where hot meals are given out for free, where you can house the people during heat waves and perhaps even during winter blizzards. And it's a church of do-goodism, a church that says, yes, we care for people. The article is not done. Let's read a little bit more because I want to make a point. 
It is a story replaying over and over in cities across the United States where older churches have been hammered by neighboring change and maintenance costs coinciding with a national trend of plummeting religious attendance across faiths. Over the past decade, the share of Americans who attend weekly services at a church, synagogue, mosque, or temple has fallen to 30% um, after hovering for a half century at 40%. Overall, membership has fallen even more precipitously, and less than half of Americans now say they belong to a religious organization. A pair of studies has suggested that thousands of U.S. churches close each year, though a smaller significant number are founded. And all of this was happening before COVID, which normalized virtual participation and decoupled people from their neighboring institutions. Then the article says this, churches have been on the edge of a cliff and COVID was a blast of air blowing them off, said Rick Reinard, a a consultant who has worked with the United Methodist Church on the question of what to do with aging structures. He routed off a list of towns with a half dozen, a dozen or more churches heading for obsolescence. From Rome, Georgia to Orange, New Jersey, whose 291-year-old First Presbyterian was among the oldest institutions to close, there is a great mismatch between small aging congregations and large aging properties. He told me what empty church, what empty department stores were 30 years ago, empty churches are today, but much more difficult to resolve. And of course, nobody wants to buy and destroy a church. Nobody, no developer wants to tear down a church building. This is the problem because you have these quote unquote sacred institutions, these sacred buildings where people were housed for worship for decades and in this case, centuries. Um, And now some land developer has to come in here and put what condominiums, a strip mall. What, what do you put up? How do you replace an old, uh, an old landmark and a church landmark at that, a religious landmark. Now I feel bad about this, but I did some digging into Summerfield church in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Here's their Facebook page. Again, the church the world wants. And what do you see right there in the logo on Facebook is inclusive. <laughs> the church the world wants. Authentic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the cool churches love the authentic word. And healing. Nothing about Jesus. Uh, nothing about the gospel. Nothing about truth. No. These are, this is how you rattle off the, the catchphrases for the secular mindset. And then if you scroll down on their photos, you had to do some digging and I did it for you on the Facebook page of Summerfield United Methodist Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You've got a celebration of Pride Fest from 2018 and the title of the post says discuss identity, healing from hurts inflicted by the church and faith while being in the midst of Pride Fest in the beautiful outdoors. Join us on the Summerfest grounds where the parking is plentiful and the bus runs frequently. Yeah. So this is the church the world wants. Warm meals for poor people. Uh, warm places to stay on cold nights or cool places to stay on hot nights. Um, community service, social justice, inclusive atmosphere, and a celebration of pride. In fact, even on the building, I think up until close, was this. A big, gigantic pride flag right there on the church. And, you know, I run into secular people, non-Christians who even say to me, what's with all the pride flags on church buildings? It kind of confuses me. Uh, Where are all the crosses? And this is a picture, guys. This is a picture of the church the world wants. They want the church to do all kinds of good things. Oh, and never ask for money. We'll get to that in a moment. And then they want the church to go with the program on all the things that the world thinks is right, like gay marriage and abortion and all those kind of things. Yeah, that's fine. We want you to be around, church, for all the free stuff you hand out. In other words, what they want is they want a spiritual socialist program that is in line with the social agenda of the secular progressives. And here's why it doesn't work, because you cannot please those who refuse to believe. This is a fundamental principle that Jesus taught his disciples when he didn't even speak to Pilate at his trial, when he warned us against casting our pearls before swine, when he told us to shake the dust off our feet as a testimony against towns who would not listen to the message of the gospel. In other words, stop trying to please those who refuse to believe. Hey guys, as a Christian out in the marketplace, isn't there someone that just loves to argue with you about the faith and they have no intention of coming to the faith. They just love to argue with you. They want to like throw dust in your face. They want to argue about social issues. And, and if you're not wise and if you're not shrewd, you will spend an inordinate amount of time with people who refuse to believe when you can't please them. And Jesus didn't do it and neither should we do it. But the fundamental fact that I want to tell you is the church the world wants cannot, and I repeat, cannot exist. It will die. It will lose membership. It will have 11 members 65 years 
old and older and a $1.3 million repair bill in no time. This is the church the devil wants. This is the Christian the devil wants. A world-pleasing, sexual sin affirming, uh, not ever (laughs) confronting, wimpy person who will never ever challenge culture and its direction. This is why I'm so vocal on this channel about the pride movement, about the progress movement, which is really not progress again, it's regress. This will never happen in my church, by the way, never ever. We will never allow our church to ignore scripture when it's very clear on what scripture says. So the church the world wants, I say good riddance. Two. Good riddance, Summerfield Church in Milwaukee. You forfeited your right to exist a long time ago, and this is the inevitable result. A church without conviction is a church without, without, without Christ and without a future. People do not need nor do they desire a church without a standard of biblical conviction. All the evidence shows that. And if the church does not stand for truth, what does the church exist for? You want another example? Maybe you're thinking, well... That's just an old-fashioned church filled with gray-haired white people. So show me a cool church. Show me a church with modern music and modern styles that they can also get away with, you know, hedging on biblical foundations and truth. Well, consider the story of Amen Church. Amen Church was founded by, uh, I think he was a... Um, plastic surgeon dentist, if that makes it, or cosmetic dentist. And he left the cosmetic dentistry field to, or no, he didn't leave his cosmetic dentistry field. He founded Amen Church in Dallas and decided a couple of months ago to come out as LGBTQ affirming and abortion affirming. And the gathered crowd said, whoa, we're not into this. But it was a modern church, modern music. Uh, even Dante Bow, a very popular modern music worship writer, uh, was part of this church. And this was this is what the article says from Protestia.com. It says, three months ago, Amen Church founder Dr. Field Harrison, again, a cosmetic dentist, shot concert goers attending the Amen's Night's Worship concert when he attacked the inspiration of the Bible and came out as fully LGBTQ affirming, telling the gathered crowd there are some people that want to treat the whole Bible as equal, not just this guy. Harrison was dismayed when, rather than standing up for the voiceless, the crowd stood up to leave, disgusted what they heard. This is the church the world wants. And it doesn't matter whether the church is cool or the church is old school. doesn't matter. If you don't stand on the truth, you're inevitably dying. Now, a little more detail here on Amen Church. Let's talk about the founding, because I told you he didn't leave the dentist industry. In late 2021, Dr. Field Harrison and his wife Sabrina launched Amen Church in Dallas, Texas, a dentist by profession and not a doctor of theology. The church was unique in that it was all staffed by volunteers and there were no paid positions with Harrison pledging to donate all tithes to charity, sometimes homeless shelters, other times hospitals. A since deleted message on their About Me page, he explains, you don't have to be a pastor to grow the church. Every believer of Jesus is called to do that. Oh, contraire, all evidence to the contrary, even your own church now is closed down completely and permanently. And I say good riddance once again to Amen Church, even though it's cool and it had hip kind of preacher vibe and all that kind of stuff. When you hedge on truth, people do not come. Jesus said very careful, very clearly in John chapter 10, the sheep listen to my voice. If you don't provide the voice of the shepherd to the sheep, they will not follow you. You've got to tell people what God says, regardless of whether the culture likes it or not. So it's kind of interesting too about this, that he was all about tithes going to charity and not paying the pastor. And how cool is that? And oh man, that's another factor that the world wants about the church. Don't ask for money. Even a lot of Christians don't want that out of the church. Don't ask me for money. How dare you ask me to what? Pay your salary pastor? How dare you ask me to what? Pay for the electric bill, that building? No, that should come from God. That should just come naturally. Give all the money away. Isn't that exactly what Judas said about the woman who was anointing Jesus's feet with oil? This oil could have been sold and then the money given to the poor. And John says he didn't even care about the poor. He just used to steal from the offering plate himself. So many Judases in the church is not funny. But I say good riddance. Good riddance to a church that denies the authority of Scripture, denies the inerrancy of the word, and denies God's standard in terms of homosexuality and sexuality in gender, in, in general, gender in general. Um, you say, Pastor, this is harsh. Good, rin- good riddance? Really? You're going to say that publicly? Yes, I am. Because it's exactly what God said to his people Israel in Malachi's day. Did you know that? 
In Malachi's day, they had opened the temple, but they were fornicating and they were giving God the leftovers of their offering and they were not bringing the 10th. Malachi 3.10 is right there talking about the 10th. And so the people of God were doing everything they wanted in the church and having church the way the world wanted. And you know what God says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 10? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. In other words, God was fed up with the people's empty, man-made, idolatrous worship in Malachi's day where they gave God the leftovers of their offerings and they didn't honor him financially and they abused his word, divorced their wives, entered into sexually immoral activity without repentance. A church without conviction is an unnecessary church. Now, this is a question that I want to bring up. Should we pay our pastor? And what is the biblical mandate about that? Well, scripture says, absolutely, you should pay your pastor. So the whole do not tithe, because after all, I shouldn't have to pay the pastor for him to teach me the word of God. He should just get up there out of his own goodwill, have a real job, and then just kind of wing it when he gets up on stage. Well, the scriptures actually say otherwise, and a lot of Christians are unaware of this. Where do the texts come from in the Bible that support the idea that churches should pay their pastors? And there's a lot of confusion, because Paul talks about not, pay, not taking a salary, because he wanted to validate his message not on somebody's goodwill or offerings from unbelievers, of course, but he wanted to validate validate his message by the fact that he supported his own means in proclaiming it. But remember that Paul was trying to win non-believing cities to Christ and establish churches. So he refused to take money from pagans to establish a message because the funding from the pagan would automatically cause some other pagans to question the validity of the message. Was he just being paid by pagans to preach a certain message that wasn't true? That was his impetus behind that decision to not take money. But scripture is very clear. And Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he says, do we say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. In other words, don't starve the the the, the the worker while they're working. Is it the oxen that God is concerned about? No. Does he certainly not speak for our sake and others pastors? He says it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope of, uh, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And then he says this line in verse 11, if we had sown spiritual things among you, in other words, if we gave you spiritual truth, is it too much if we reap material things among you? He's talking about money. You pay the preacher. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made this use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That's what he's talking about to the Corinthians. But Galatians chapter 6, he says this to the Galatians. He says in verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, pay the preacher. If you're taught by them, share with them. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. And the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. Um, in the Old Testament, the Levites were paid from the offerings of the people. And by the way, a case could be made here from this text that Paul is saying, if you're not involved in supporting the preaching of God's word financially, you're actually just only investing in the flesh and you're going to reap corruption. And as a pastor, I can say this, I have seen this. People who refuse to tithe, people who refuse to give God their first, people who don't support the church financially at all, I have seen their families fall apart. I have seen things just not work out for them. I have seen them reap the corruption that God is talking about here. The word of God, the truth of God, the value of that has to be so big in your life that you have no problem supporting it financially because you know what God's word does for you. Another passage that we should consider is 1 Timothy 5.17. And in that passage, Paul is talking to, to, to Timothy, and he says, let the elders who rule, Timothy, a pastor, by the way, of the first century, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, again, he uses that phrase, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. By the way, that line, the way laborer deserves his wages, comes from Jesus. And the word honor here is very important because it's a word uh, time in Greek, which means money. Every other passage is translated almost money. I don't know why it's translated as honor here in English. Maybe there's some cheapskate Bible translators who didn't want to pay their pastors. But that's what he's talking about here. If somebody labors and does work to preach and teach, you should pay them well. You don't want a pastor stressed on money or stressed about money, stressed about his finances. He won't be able to hear God. He'll be too worried about paying his own bills. But this, again, is the church the world wants. A church that has no biblical standards, never confronts culture, and doesn't have to ask for any money or any sacrifice on your part. In other words, a bit of a spiritual socialist program. 
The exact kind of government that the socialists want is the exact kind of church the pagans want. Isn't that ironic? I remember years ago when the Atlantic published an article about a group of atheists who wanted to create a church without God. And they did. And it started, I think it was in 2014. It started up. It was called Sunday Assembly. Church without God. A place for people who didn't want to be accountable for their actions, but still wanted all the benefits of church, like, you know, teaching and uh, community and opportunities to serve and join in a community like that, could gather together without the guilt trip of the Word of God. Well, in 2014, they started in New York City, and it was only a few years later that the Atlantic published a follow-up article called, They Tried to Start a Church Without God. For a while, it worked. <laughs> I love that. I love that. The article says Sunday, secular congregations such as Sunday Assembly and Oasis, a similar group started in 2012, seek to offer a solution. Both were founded by faithless seekers hoping to carry on certain aspects of religious life, the community, the moral deliberation, the rich sense of wonder. When they were growing so rapidly in the early years, these congregations heavily covered were heavily covered by the media outlets. The Hot New Atheist Church, Gush Day 2013, Daily Beast headline about Sunday Assembly. Huffington Post noted that the number of assemblies had doubled in a single weekend in 2014. The media coverage emphasized the new community's high-energy service, a celebratory message, and top-of-your-lungs group renditions of pop anthems such as Living on a Prayer. For those uncomfortable with the level of over-spirituality, even within relatively liberal denominations such as Unitary Universalism, secular communities offered a, a different opinion. And you really have to be ultra-triggery if you can't stand <laughs> the teachings of a Unitarian Universalist church because they basically say, if you have a pulse, you're going to heaven. Uh, later in the article says, there just weren't enough people. Making, congregation, making a congregation happen basically meant putting on a big show on a regular basis. Listen to this very carefully. Somebody needed to book bands, find speakers, set up chairs, pick up snacks, Ann Clayson, who was a board member for the New York chapter at the time, told me the same thing. The core group worked their hearts out, but it wasn't sustainable. In New York and elsewhere, the basic mechanics of keeping a congregation running have proved difficult. To hire musicians and speakers, buy refreshments, and rent out a venue takes a lot of money. A traditional church has tithings. But leaders of secular communities have found that attendees are highly suspicious of any plea for donations. Many last believers harbor strong negative associations with the collection plate. <laughs> the church the world wants. The church the world wants has no chance of living because it does take money to put on the show every Sunday. I'm always amazed at people who think I'm going to throw five dollars in the offering plate. That should do it. Your $5 will not even cover the, the amount of space you take up in the room to heat on a wintry Sunday. I mean, give me a break. It does take giving. And the church should give to the causes that help poor people and the infirmed and the indigent and all those. Absolutely. But you should pay for a place where you can gather together and hear the word of God and worship together in air conditioning and heat. You know, it's kind of a benefit. Later on in the article, it says this, even more challenging than the logistical barriers are the psychological ones. Linda Woodhead, a scholar of religion and culture at Lancaster University in Great Britain, told me that structured communities just aren't easy to form. Meeting in a building with the same group of people every week, I don't think there's any natural need for that, end quote, she said. <laughs> of, course, of course, there's not a natural need for that. There's a supernatural need for gathering in the same, in the same place with the same group of people. That's the church. And if you take God out of the mix, and you take truth out of the mix, and you take giving out of the mix, you got nothing left. It's like baking a cake without flour. It just can't happen. And if you try it, it's gross. By the way, I went to the Sunday Assembly Facebook page, and they haven't had anything in their events page listed since 2018 or 2014. So I'm guessing that things are not going so good. But they do have the past Sunday in uh, London's worship atmosphere. This is, this is a video of their worship set over in their London branch called uh, the Brighton branch called Awesome Fest. And here they are singing their hearts out. Watch. Woo. Um, yeah. If I enjoy seeing middle-aged, ugly white women leading me in a terrible rendition of Rolling on a River, I'm going to start rethinking the whole I don't need God philosophy. I think at that point I've hit rock bottom. 
<laughs> the church the world wants. Uh, it can't exist. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how can it be restored? And it's no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Good riddance to these churches that don't preach the truth. Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, because if you don't, you will stray into the cultural mindset and ideologies of the day. You know, sometimes God gets involved directly with telling a church that they need to shut down. I bring up the case. I should have brought this up last month during Pride Month, but there was so much to cover. I didn't have time for it. The case of First Congregational Church in Spencer, Mass., last month was struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. Struck by lightning. And yes, they were pride and gay affirming. One day, the church is having what useless waste of space churches do, which is a celebration of Pride Month. And the next thing you know, the next day is struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah, this church, um, First Congregational in Spencer, Mass., started in 1743, uh, was around for almost, what, three centuries? The congregation is around 30 people. If you got 30 people after 300 years, something's wrong. And again, sin affirming. Well, after the event of the lightning strike, the pastor got up and he's an interim pastor. His name's Pastor Bruce McLeod. And he says, I have to say, I don't think God made the fire. I don't think God makes us sick. I don't think God makes bad things happen. I don't think God does it to teach us things. I don't think God does it to punish us. I do believe God is there with us in the midst of it and that God is here with us to help pick up the pieces and figure out what to do next. So let me get this straight. God doesn't do anything to teach us. God doesn't do anything to punish us. God doesn't do anything. I guess God just sits up in heaven and just says, you know, guys, figure it out. See how it goes. <laughs> Au contraire, Pastor Bruce. Isaiah 45 verse 7 says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Oh, by the way, we looked up and found the last sermon Pastor Bruce preached before the lightning strike. Listen to Pastor Bruce's view on the Bible and see if God didn't have a hand in this, I don't know, event. This stuff here, um, you know, why are there all those contradictions in the Bible? Well, because it was written down by people over a period of about 1,500 years. So given, given that, uh, people are going to have different kinds of things. And, and I am one who does not believe it was dictated by God. I think that the scripture, the Bible, is human beings trying to make sense of, who, of their experience of God. And, and people in different times experience God in different ways. So Pastor Bruce says here, the Bible is basically humans trying to figure out their experience with God. There's no objective truth to the Bible. It's people just kind of making the best of their bad situations and kind of, you know, thinking about what God would say or believe about certain things. You see, this is a church without a standard. It's a useless waste of space. And thankfully, no one was hurt in the fire. But I do have to say good riddance. Now, here's the problem with doubting parts of the Bible, because some of you don't understand why we have to take the whole counsel of God, the whole scripture as inspired and equally true. Take note of the parts of the Bible that people like Pastor Bruce here question or doubt. I can almost guarantee you that he absolutely doubts the one man, one woman view of marriage, of course. I'm sure he doubts the passage of the Bible that life begins at conception. I'm sure he doubts the passage of the Bible about sex outside of marriage and fornication and all those kind of sins that the culture wants us to agree with. But I can almost guarantee you that Pastor Bruce believes 100% with the phrase, love is patient from 1 Corinthians 13, right? I am willing to bet my life that Pastor Bruce believes that's true. Love is patient. But if I take his stance of the Bible, as in I get to pick and choose what's true and what's not, then I get to say, you know what? Paul was just trying to figure out what he thought love was. So patience in my life is not necessary. It doesn't have to be loving at all. No, 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 no. That's what he thought. But I think that love is actually impatient. Ha <laughs> Now I've got a great uh, handmade, self-made excuse to not be patient with those whom I love. Uh, but Pastor Bruce would never question that part of the Bible. Not the parts that he thinks is right. Which makes Pastor Bruce the judge and advocate of the Bible's trustworthiness. Which actually makes Pastor Bruce God's judge. You see how it works? It's man making God in their image. And so again, thankfully, nobody was hurt in the fire, but good riddance to First Congregational Church in Spencer, Massachusetts. Guys, it might sound harsh, 
but it's true. Sometimes God wants us to close our doors. Sometimes God wants the church to close its doors when the church no longer honors God or his word. And let me just say, it's time to hold the line, not the time to break. I am absolutely not sad when false believers are exposed and false churches fall away and close their doors. The reason why is because they're not necessary and they're useless to God's purposes in the world. And false and believers who are exposed as false believers were never really believers. First John 2 19 says they went out from us, but they're going out from us proof that they were never really of us. Otherwise they would have stayed with us. See, this is what happens in the first century church when the apostles see that Judas is gone. Did they whine? Did they cry? Did they, did they say maybe Judas was right? No, they moved on and they appointed Matthias to replace him. And the church blew up in the next chapter. Yes, the church is going through a period of decline. But here's a thought. What the world calls declining, God calls refining. He's pruning the branches. That's what he's doing. He's chopping off the useless branches that bear no fruit, that don't produce repentance, that don't produce giving sacrificial love, that don't produce a standard of righteousness that desperately is needed in the world today. And I have a great suspicion for many, many cool churches right now that are going to go the same way as these old congregational churches in the eastern part of the United States. Which brings me to Andy Stanley once again. Andy Stanley making the rounds again with doing whatever it takes to welcome and make skeptics feel welcomed in his church. This past weekend, he spoke on the inerrancy of the Bible. And that you don't need to believe the whole Bible is inerrant. No, 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 that's not necessary. You just need to believe that one out of four books is inerrant. And so we're going to watch this clip together. And then I'm going to share some things that I like. And then some things that I don't like about his approach here. Watch. This is so important. And the bottom line, in terms of what a person must believe about the Bible in order to be a follower of Jesus, it's really this simple. You just have to believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John are reliable accounts of actual events. That's it. You just have to believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is a reliable account of an actual event. Because if you do, then you will also believe that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be, the Son of God and our King. And everything we've stated in this series follows from that one idea. It means that what he said about God is true. What he said about you is true. And what he said about the Hebrew scriptures that we would call the Old Testament is also true that Christianity does not rise or fall. Christianity does not rise or fall on our ability to prove that the Bible is without error. People were following Jesus 300 plus years before the first Bible was ever assembled. First century Christians followed Jesus, and you know this because we talk about it all the time. First century Christians followed Jesus because of the resurrection. Now, is there a case to be made? Is there a case to be made for the inerrancy, the errorlessness of the scriptures? Absolutely. And if you will give me three weeks of your undivided attention, I can make that case because I have studied under the master. But is this view of the Bible essential in order to be a follower of Jesus? No, because our faith does not rise or fall on an errorless text, a Bible without error. Christianity rises or falls on the identity of Jesus, which was validated not through a text, but was validated through the event of the resurrection that his first century followers saw and consequently came out of hiding and went on to change the world. Okay. Um, I don't want to just dump on Andy Stanley here. I do want to talk about things that I like. Number one, I do like that Andy has a real heart to speak to skeptics. He really does. You, you know, say what you want about him. He desperately wants to see skeptics come into his church, and he wants to prove that what he says about the Bible is true. I don't doubt his intentions. And for skeptics, many parts of the Bible and Orthodox faith are stumbling blocks. Things like the Bible says doesn't resonate with people who don't believe that the Bible is true. And basing your sermon on the Bible's inerrancy is going to come across as off-putting to many people who don't believe the Bible is true as well. I mean, that's basic, that's basic facts, right? But I do doubt his methods. See, salvation is a miracle, and God does not rely on our clever arguments. Charles Hayden Spurgeon was saved when a snowstorm drove him to a small Methodist church, and a layman, a person who wasn't even a trained pastor, got up and preached a bumbling, stumbling sermon and pointed to them and said, you look miserable, sir. Look to Christ and be saved. And Charles Hayden Spurgeon, perhaps the greatest pastor of the 19th century, was saved because a 
unclever argument was made about the gospel. But Andy is also drifting into Catholicism. And I don't know if you can see it here. You know, the Catholics teach basically what Andy's saying. We have tradition. We have the word of the apostles. We have the church fathers. And they told us what to believe about the Bible. And then we, and then we accumulated the Bible and put it together. And now tr scripture and tradition lead the church and correct each other. I mean, really, that's what the Catholic church ultimately teaches. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches very clear, clearly that it is all God-breathed and it is profitable and useful for teaching, training, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, 17 to 18, or 16 to 17. Um, when Andy Stanley talks about the fact that they didn't have a Bible for 300 years, does not then make our present context fine to not have a Bible? <laughs> There's a reason why they assembled the Bible. There's a reason why they wrote them down. When the apostles saw that Jesus was not returning in their lifetime, they wrote things down so that there would be a, a, a canon of truth that they could hand off to the next generation. And just because the Bible was then available 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus does not mean that we should go back to the old ways and do Christianity without the Bible at all. Nor does it make the case that we should try to convince people without biblical inerrancy or without the orthodox faith and, and standards of the orthodox faith who are skeptical about the message. Because salvation, again, is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. The fact that someone comes to believe God and the word of the gospel is not the efforts of human flesh. It is the divine work of the Holy Spirit upon the human heart. And without the Holy Spirit involved, nobody's getting saved. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom. They were in a demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest on my wisdom but on the power of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhand ways. We refuse to practice cunning to, or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he says this, and even if our God, gospel is veiled, in other words, if, even if they don't believe it, it's veiled to those who are perishing. There's some people that are just not going to believe it no matter what we do. And perhaps Peter is best saying it in 2 Peter 1.16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, we do have the collected works and writings of the apostles and the prophets and Moses, and they are the collection that we call the Bible. And thank God for the process that I believe God guided the people involved to collect those works, to maintain those works, to save those works, to, to trans, transmit those works. And, and, and all the manuscripts that we have around the world of the Bible prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is the most holy, most sacred, most protected, most defended work of literary history in the universe because it is guided by God. It is given to us by Almighty God. So watch out for this. And I caution you again about Andy Stanley and those types of arguments that are made by people who are desperate to win skeptics to the gospel. Sometimes skeptics are just going to remain skeptics. And when the gospel is preached, as Paul says in Romans 1:17, it's the power of God for salvation. In other words, it's not my ability to win you over skeptic to my, you know, kind of underhanded tactic to tell you that you don't have to trust the whole Bible to believe the Bible. I don't need to do that. I need to tell people that Jesus died. Jesus rose. He rose for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He lives for you. And if you believe it, you have eternal life in him. There's power to that message. It's the power that Paul believed in. It's the power that Peter believed in. It's the power that we need to believe in. Because we cannot afford to be the church the world wants. We have to be the church the world needs. And the church the world needs is what we're going to look at now. And that brings me to really, and I mean really, good news. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. I know that we don't like to talk about COVID anymore. I know. But can I talk about it one more time? Remember in the nonsense of COVID, all the churches that shut their doors so willingly, how many pastors didn't even reopen when they were allowed to reopen, such as Andy Stanley, who stayed closed for another year and a half after he was allowed to reopen. And all those anti-constitutional orders and totalitarian responses to the pandemic. Remember that? Well, there was a church that I reported about in Moscow, Idaho. They went outside and they worshiped during lockdowns. They went outside and they worshiped during lockdowns. Here was the video, however, of when they were worshiping on the street and some, some police came and arrested the worshipers. Watch this. He comes from heaven above us and in the strength of voices. So 
going to pause there because there's so much wrong with that image I cannot tell you. First off, they only arrest one or two people. Secondly, the cops have these useless masks on, which did not actually help prevent COVID. And thirdly, this was happening in October of 2020. After useless cops did nothing to the people who were destroying their own precincts and causing unrest in the streets and attacking private citizens and causing damage, billions of dollars of damage to America's cities during the summer of love in 2020 on the heels of the George Floyd death. Well, this is what they did to that church. And I have got really good news. They were just awarded through a court settlement, a $300,000 judgment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. They made money standing for Jesus. This is so wonderful. Protestia reporting. They, uh, on September, again, I said October, it was September 23rd, 2020. The police arrested members of the church. Uh, the church is led by Pastor Doug Wilson because they were singing hymns in public without social distancing in violation of the city's newly created emergency public health ordinance number 2003. The arrest occurred at Psalm, a psalm sing where the event uh, of 150 people, primarily congregants, gathered to sing three acapella hymns and then the doxology at Moscow City Hall, an event organized by the church. One of the men arrested was Gabe Brench, host of the cross-politic TV show, co-founder of the Fight Laugh feast network and a deacon at christ church well thank god for justice thank god for the constitution thank god for the courts that still read the constitution because now they have made money standing for christ hey kiddos i know we tell you a lot about how you deny yourself now and you get good things in heaven but sometimes you deny yourself now and you get good things here too in fact jesus said that whoever loses houses money family friends whatever for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come eternal life. You can't lose when you become the church the world needs. More proof that people need a true faith, a true church. Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson fired unceremoniously from Fox News for telling the truth, really, <laughs> about the corruption in our government. Recently was uh, interviewed at a leadership summit. And remember, if you, if you will, with me, I shared the video of Tucker Carlson speaking at a faith-based uh, conservative summit a couple months ago where he talked about that he was raised Episcopalian and that his church was basically the most innocuous church that has ever existed, which I agree with. Um, here he is talking about his life since being fired from Fox News and how he's actually opened the Bible and discovered the truth of the Bible for himself and what he's found out about the Bible. And it's amazing as this man is starting to come close to the kingdom of God. Watch this. It's funny, in February... I was like trying to think about what to do for Lent. I'm not a particularly faithful or virtuous person, but like you try to do something. I already quit smoking, so like what's next? <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm just going to read the Bible. And no, I'm not going to do a Bible study. I'm a Protestant, so I feel like I have a right to kind of read it myself. And I, no, I'm sorry. I feel that way. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've been reading it since February, and I'm like about halfway done. And, and I haven't talked to anyone about it. And I haven't been in it, just been myself reading it. And, and I've all kinds, it's like the most interesting thing I think I've ever done. Actually. Mm. It's unbelievable. The amount of drama in those books <laughs> that has been hidden for me as a regular churchgoer in the Episcopal Church. Like, wait, why didn't you never mention this? This is like unbelievable. <laughs> what? But the two things I have come away with after reading the entire New Testament, and I'm up to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, is the every per with the exception of Jesus, every figure is like really flawed. Big time. Like flawed in a way where you'd be like, I don't know if I could be friends with that person. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Abraham enters Egypt and he's like, oh, it's my sister actually. Take her. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I was saying to my wife who was a who was a religion teacher, I was like, what, why didn't anyone what is that? And she's like, maybe the point is that God takes people who are not perfect people, not only not perfect people, like they're so imperfect again, mm. I don't think I can have dinner with them, and uses them for these grander purposes. That's the first thing I notice. The second thing I notice is that people, while they have free will, of course, and they can make decisions and they live with the consequences of those decisions, they're not really in charge of the arc of history at all. Mm. They are being acted upon a lot. Amen. Okay. And I never really appreciated that because I'm American. And so I grew up with this feeling that we're the sum total of our choices. And I, well, that's not what I'm reading at all. Mm. Yeah, people's choices matter. You need to do certain things and not do other things. On the other hand, you are not in charge. You are being acted upon by a world you can't see. Unbelievable. I have so much to say about this. It's not even funny. I mean, I got to just sum it up in a couple of points. Number one, did you notice that he came to these conclusions just by picking up the Bible and reading it? So 
Do we need, do we need to have some argument about his inspiration and inerrancy for him to agree with before he sees what God says? No, that's irrelevant. He picked up the Bible and he read it. Number two, the Episcopalian church didn't teach him these things. What were they doing? This is the Wall Street church. I wonder what they were doing. They were trying to raise money for the next person who would die and leave an endowment. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is beautiful to see somebody come to know the truth just by opening the scriptures and seeing how God speaks through it. And no, on the other hand, it does not say Tucker Carlson doesn't need a pastor. No, absolutely. People need people to come alongside them and help them understand the Bible. But that's what we are doing. We understand that people don't get it. We understand that sometimes they can only go so far. And so God gives you pastors and teachers and pastors and, and church leaders to come alongside you and say, hey, this is what it means. And ladies and gentlemen, Tucker Carlson epitomizes in that moment that there is a church the world needs. And it's a church that has standards. It's a church that believes the Bible is the word of God. It's a church that doesn't mince words about that and doesn't worry about what people think. Because here's some stats on faith in America that LifeWay Research did recently on what's going on in the modern American adult. Did you know that 54% of adults agree religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, but 34% disagree? That means that 34%, one third of America believes that no, it's not about what you think. It's about what is true, objectively true. Now, on the converse side of this is that uh, almost half of Americans believe that the Bible is 100% accurate. Half of Americans. Only one third believe that science that disproves the Bible. Half agree the Bible has the authority to do to tell us what we must do. More from this uh, study from LifeWay Research, 64% uh, say that God accepts the worship of all religions, but that means that about 36% uh, say no, that's not true. There's one faith delivered for men. 64% say the account of Jesus' resurrection is accurate. Even those who say the Bible is not literally true, 44% of them, 44% say, say that the Bible is still helpful. Um, and half of Americans believe that sex outside of marriage is a sin. Abortion is a sin. So are you paying attention here? Because there's a big point to be made. Already half of society agrees with most of what we say if we just stick to the word. And with religious attendance or church attendance declining, the way to win those people back to your church is not by abdicating the very things that they believe already. You say, well, how do they believe them? Maybe they're lapsed Catholics or lapsed church members or whatever. Or maybe they were raised by a grandmother who believed it and the grandmother died off and they never put it to themselves personally, but they still believe it. The point also must be made. If half the country agrees with the Bible and half the country doesn't agree with the Bible, which half of the country that you could appeal to seems more committed to actually showing up on Sunday and giving and serving? It seems it would be the audience that believes the Bible is true. In other words, tell the sheep what the shepherd has said, and you'll have more sheep showing up. It's why Jude warned the church in the first century. He said, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers. That word can also be translated mockers, people who make fun of the Bible, fun of the scriptures. They are following their own ungodly passions. That's why they agree that love is patient, but they don't agree with those pesky rules about sexuality. <laughs> In verse 19 says, it is these who cause divisions. They're worldly people. And most importantly, they're devoid of the spirit. And a church that the world wants has no Holy Spirit. But the church the world needs does. And when we rely on that Holy Spirit, we can change almost anybody through the power of the gospel. Which brings me to a church really alive in an unexpected place in a dark corner of American society. And I'm going to do a segment called Pastor Recommends. I am going to recommend not a movie or a show or anything like that. I'm going to recommend a uh, organization. It's called God Behind Bars. Uh, you can go there, godbehindbars.com. That's what you'll see. And they do ask for your involvement and your monetary commitment or uh, 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 giving support. I have done this. I am only encouraging you and recommending you to do things that I believe in. Why do I believe in this ministry? Because they are bringing the gospel to people in prison around the country. We got a serious problem with prison overpopulation in this country. Politicians want us to throw money at, I don't know, building more prisons 
and some politicians want us just to let people out of prison and the recidivism rate is extremely high. So that's not a good idea, but maybe we need to bring the gospel to the prisons and see people changed through Jesus. Early in, earlier in June, the ministry reported that 130 prisoners were baptized at a single federal prison in one month, including 90 women. You know, support churches and ministries where they see people getting, where you see people getting saved and baptized and stepping up to serve. This is a video from God Behind Bars' uh, Instagram page. A hundred inmates worshiping Jesus at a maximum security prison chapel. Watch. What a beautiful, what a beautiful sound. And I'll support that. And you need to support that. This is the church the world needs. A church that believes the Bible is true, that Jesus is the only way, that we need to repent of our sins and then serve and give and support the mission of the gospel. And if we create more of those churches and stop relying on trying to be cool and acceptable to the culture, we could actually change the culture. Amen. That's the show. Hey, you could support the gospel by supporting this channel by just going over to TimHatchLive.com and buying a shirt or a sweatshirt. And you can support the channel simply by donating through the Cash App. By the way, I do have a book coming out, Emptying Emptiness, and I'm going to give it to our monthly supporters as soon as it comes out. The publication is delayed a little bit, so just be patient. We will get that content to you as quickly as possible. I'm super excited. You're going to want to get a hold of this content, uh, that book, as soon as possible. The deep dive will be tomorrow night going through Second Kings once again. And I'm so glad that you were here. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell. That way you know every time we go live and you're not bothered if we don't go live. God bless. Thanks for being here. Take care.